This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I'm here with the head of hoops, Aaron Beach. Uh, coming out of nowhere. <laughs> Day before the beginning of hoop season, we're in Seattle. They're up in Alaska in Anchorage for the Armed Forces Classic playing number 16, Baylor. Baylor just whopped the living you-know-what out of central Arkansas from wherever, directional Arkansas. And uh, I don't know, Beach, this is... Uh, this is kind of a different year than in years past. This this really has a much different feel to it. 100%. Um, this is the start of the Hopkins era, right? I mean, in my opinion, at least. This is phase two of the phase one of the <laughs> Hopkins era. Part two of the phase one of yeah, phase two. I, I mean, these are his players, right? Yeah. First go around, they weren't. Um, and he's had a lot of success so far. He's recruited incredibly well. Well, now we're going to get to actually see the fruits of of what he's built. Yeah. Um, and... and to me, as I'm looking at the roster and I look at you know the makeup of the team, we're going to be watching. It's going to look a lot more like Syracuse now. You know, if you look at the length, which is just incredible, top to bottom, um, it's not going to be the same as we saw last year. You're not going to have a bunch of guards running around in a six-seven Noah Dickerson patrolling you know the paint. Yeah, um, this is a different animal, and you know you see you see Jeff Goodman you know talking about them being a Final Four team, yet yeah. they're not even ranked yeah. heading into the season, which just shows you the chasm between expectation and other expectation right um i'm excited i, I really am um at the same time i'm curious because i with all that talent when you got three five star guys sitting on that roster man they should do some serious damage here in the west coast especially with their roster makeup which is really unlike you know the bulk of the of the programs of the west well you mentioned jeff goodman what was your first reaction when you saw that 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 and for people that don't know um Jeff Goodman, one of the most respected basketball, college basketball analysts out there, has Washington in his final four. And obviously, yes, we're talking about early November right now. We're not talking about March. But uh, what was your first reaction when you saw that? <laughs> I, I, a little chuckle and a for real? You know, I, I, look, I, I'm, not, I, I'm totally excited about it. it. Just the idea that someone out there who I truly respect is saying that, you know, gets me excited. But at the same time, let's... Uh, Let's not, you know, get crazy. If you broke down his analysis, I mean, I know he's got his own things that he's saying about it, but if you, in your mind, if you were out there and you were in Jeff Goodman's shoes and you're picking Washington to be a potential Final Four team, why? Well, I mean, it's just, just this is sheer talent. I mean, you've got top five guys, you've got two guys that are top five potentially NBA draft picks, and that's... I mean, even Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, on a year-over-year basis, that's not a sure thing for them, right? So for Washington to be able to boast that, that right there, this isn't football. There's not 11 guys out there, right? This is very much an individual game in a lot of ways. And with that kind of unique talent and length and size, um, sure, I, you know, I, I'm buying what he's saying. Uh, I think they're probably maybe more realistic as a Sweet 16 team. You know, I de but I could see the upside, too. It's been 66 years since Washington's made the Final Four. Men. Yeah. Tippy Dye. Bob Hubriggs. This is, these, are the, these are the guys we're talking about. It's the only Final Four that Washington's ever made. I, I would say this classifies as a hot take. <laughs> Scorching, yes. Yes. So, but did, first of all, did you get a chance to see some of these games? Because, again, this is the only week, I think, in the history of college sports that I can remember, at least in the modern era, where the number one and number two teams in both college football and college basketball played. 
Did you get a chance to see that Michigan State-Kentucky game or even the Duke-Kansas game? Yeah, I watched a bit of both. And, um, you know, you mentioned it while we were eating earlier. But uh, you, I would agree with you when you say that there wasn't anything that blew me away there. Thing is, I don't get too excited about the start of the season because everyone's kind of a mess. So especially with teams like that that are built on young players, um, just as Washington is, uh, I think UW's probably going to struggle tomorrow night against a bunch of 6'4 shooters, right? They got... If Washington had a weak point against uh, against Western the other night, they I think they hit 12 three-pointers. And that's totally Baylor's offense. That's what they do. Um, and they're very experienced. And so I would uh, – this is going to be a tough one for Washington coming out of the gates. Yeah. Like I said, they played the directional Arkansas team, who I think was probably on a par with Western Washington, uh, the directional Washington team. I, I think in that way – I don't know if they're good barometers or not. Did you get a chance to watch the stream of the uh-uh. of the Western game at all? No, okay. I didn't even know it was yeah. there. Thank yeah. you. Well, uh, that was that was the ruse of the Pac-12 to make sure that that no one was uh, they didn't overpromise and underdeliver. This was a classic case of uh, underpromising and overdelivering in in sorts, I guess. Right, and then they follow up with booking a football and a basketball game at the same time, which well, makes just not, as much sense. Not just that, but men's basketball and then football, and then you've also got the women's basketball game <laughs> right. season opener, and I think volleyball is playing in, at Oregon oh, as well. Lord. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Friday is packed. Friday is packed for Washington Athletics. Should be a big night. Yeah. Um, let's go kind of break down a little bit of what, you think is going to go well for Washington this year. You talked about the size difference. You talked about, obviously, a lack of seniority. Sam Timmons is the only senior coming back, so you lose all of that veteran leadership last year, but you make up for it in terms of the kind of raw talent. You talked about three five-star kids. You talk Jaden McDaniels, Isaiah Stewart, Quade Green. I mean, Quade Green, let's just start there. Um, that's the news of the of this last week or so. Finally gets his eligibility waiver cleared by the NCAA. He goes from being kind of a guy who's a question mark, may not have played until mid-December. Now all of a sudden he's in. And not only is he in, but I think a lot of people expect him to be maybe the difference between what this team could be potential-wise and what the actuality or the reality might be because he brings so much talent and so much experience and what he was able to do at Kentucky, for instance. Right. I mean, he's there's no doubt he's going to be probably top three scorers with the team. Um, he's a 40% three-point shooter. Um, and he fills really the team's only real weakness in the lineup, right? I mean, going into this before he was eligible, we didn't know. Was it Elijah Hardy or Tashonis? You know, not a sure thing there. That's the only real question mark. So, um, and that's probably, I believe that's what prompted Goodman's you know, commentary was, look, this team's got three electric five-star players on it. Um, you can do an awful lot with that. But here's the thing, Beach. Have you ever gone into a season, let alone, not just Washington, but any team that has that much talent, that much potential, that much fringe, let's say, Final Four ability on paper, but yet they're arguably missing a guy that could, that could miss their first half dozen games or however many it is, and now all of a sudden he's in the thing, and it could change things completely. Because like you said, he fills the only real major hole that they had because point guard was something that they, you know, you lose David Crisp. Um, you know, you, you don't know when, when Quade Green's going to become eligible. You've got Elijah Hardy, but he's an unknown factor. He didn't play a ton last year. He played, what, like 10 minutes or something. Marcus Sahonis, like you mentioned, you know, he looked good in Italy, but then he gets hit in the mouth in Western Washington. Now we don't even know if he's going to be available on Friday. 
Um, huge. I mean, it really can't be uh, undersold how big a game changer this is for them. Well, I think it boils down to leadership because if there's a missing element to this team coming into the season, it's that, right? There's no obvious leader, okay? So he brings an element of leadership. He's been there, done it. The stage is definitely not too big for him. He's been in the biggest. So um, to me, that's probably the the biggest advantage Washington gets by bringing him in earlier. Um, And... uh, I guess that's why I'm 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 more excited now. Right, right. Well, let's talk about because you got a starting five. The starting five against Western would have been Elijah Hardy, Nas Corder at the guards. Then you've got Jaden McDaniel's, Isaiah Stewart from your right. Mm-hmm. You've got Jamal Bay coming off the bench as their six man who who outscored everybody, scored twenty points. Yep. Um, but now you've got Quade Green in instead of Hardy, which it, it at least on paper changes things exponentially for Washington. Yep. Talk about that five, though. When you talk about Quade Green, Nas Carter, who everybody, you know, if you ask Nas who the best player on Washington's team is, it's going to be him. Yep. He just, he's that, he's that confident in his abilities. You've got legitimately five guys there with Amir Wright that um, really, I don't know how you compare him to last year's team. Well, and that's the thing. Like, even Amir Wright is a new player, essentially, because he's moving positions. He's no longer under the basket, right? So he changes up his role completely, too. So you're literally resetting the whole thing. And, and that's fine because you've got so much talent there. And um, I, I like the idea of Hamir being kind of the solidifying presence on the defensive end. But, I mean, let's face it, you've got some potentially standout um, all-conference type of defenders that we haven't even seen play yet, right? I mean, Isaiah Stewart is a monster. Um, you were raving about Jade McDaniels, uh, you know, defensively after the Western game. So um, that lineup, if you add Hamir, maybe it's Nate Roberts. I assume it's going to be Hamir. Um, so you've got, you know, you're averaging 6'10 on your back line. And then you've got, you know, Quade, who's not a big boy. You know, he's what, 6'1"? Six, six one, foot. Six foot. Um, and, and Nas, you're upgrading. If you go player by player, David Chris versus... Quade, right? Yeah. If you go through that whole lineup, they've upgraded in almost every way, in every position from a team that was pretty dang good last year. Yeah, I mean, a team that won the Pac-12 regular season. Yep. Got to the, you know, they got to the round of 32 in the NCAA playoffs, or NCAA tournament. Um, lose to North Carolina, of course. I, I think it's curious, though, what you might think in terms of, let's go down some of the individual guys. Let's start with Jaden McDaniels, because you know him the best. Of all of those guys, you saw a ton of him at the high school level, whether it was AAU or at Federal Way. Um, this was really kind of my first exposure when I got a chance to see him against Western. And I, I, I was ten times more impressed with him defensively than offensively. Obviously, he's got so much skill in, in the break and everything else. There's a lot of offense there around him. But what he can do defensively, especially if they can switch in and out of the zone in the man, um, <laughs> I was kind of concerned where they would get kind of the matisse Thibel kind of numbers in terms of block steals and not as concerned anymore <laughs> i and frankly i i was more focused on him as an offensive player in high school i didn't truly believe that he had this kind of upside you know on the defensive end here it was more about his offensive versatility and all these things that he can do um but his defensive abilities might be on par with his offensive skills and that to me i mean that's why you see people talking about him as a dark horse number one pick Right. Um, is for that reason. He's just good at everything. There is not a weakness. There's not a hole in his game. And uh, furthermore, he's uh, he makes everybody else better. 
He's not a selfish, I gotta get my 15, 20 shots a game. He's not that kind of a guy. He's gonna elevate his teammates. And um, so while obviously you lose Matisse Thibel, who's one of the great you know, defensive players to ever play in the Pac-12, um, I'm not gonna say that you know, it's gonna be the same, but I don't think the drop-off is gonna be what we thought it might be. Sure, sure, no doubt about it. The other thing, do you, uh, do you believe that Isaiah Stewart is a walking double-double every time he steps yeah. on the court? There's nobody in the Pac-12 that can match up with him. I mean, period. This, he's, he's here in the West, and he's going to dominate in ways he could, never could in the Big East, you know, back in the East Coast. I mean, there's a lot of guys like him back there. There's very few here. Okay. And, and, but in terms of him, you know, because I think one of the things that Hops really raves about with him is that it's not so much he's a throwback, and, and maybe, maybe in a way he is, because people always talk about the bigs nowadays being more outside-in players, where he's really more of a true post. Right. That can actually step out and shoot a three if you right. need him to. He's not to. a face-up five player like right. it's common these days. Right, and he and he's not, you know, I mean, he's not Kareem. I mean, he's not he's not a guy that's going to be sky-hooking you and doing that kind of stuff either. He is just kind of a, you know, Kim wanted to, he talked about him as Michael Cage. Yeah. You know, when he was at San Diego, when he was at San Diego State, I think he was averaging twenty four nine his senior year or something kind of close to that. I don't, I don't know if that's reasonable for a guy like Isaiah Stewart, but it sure feels like when we talked about him initially, it was all about his offense, right? And how he could impact thing on uh, things on that end of the floor. Mm, so I always, I kind of took it a different way, and that you've got a physical presence that's unique here. Um, and that he would be a dominating player under the basket, playing defense and rebounding beyond the offensive stuff. And truthfully, I think he's got a bit more wiggle offensively than he's getting credit for. You know, he's got some ISO skills. He's got a turnaround fade. He's got all kinds of shots in that toolbox. Uh, I watched down at the Pro-Am, mm -hmm. some of the things he was doing down there, I'm like, wait, I didn't know he could do that. Do you, do you think there's one characteristic of him that separates him from other guys, his size? His over overwhelming physicality. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's a it's a definite trait. See, to me, after seeing him now in person, obviously you saw a ton of tape of him, saw him at the McDonald's games and what have you. The thing that really stands out for for me, especially when you've seen other guys his size in the past, whether it was a Noah Dickerson or what have you, the stamina, mm -hmm. his motor. Yes. Okay. Unreal. Yep. He is nonstop running. Yep. He is going to be a factor on breaks every single time down the floor. Well, you know, and what I find funny about that, um, because I agree with you. I mean, even if he's getting the rebound. Right. He, he might be one of those, he gets the rebounds, he outlets, and then he might get it back. But he might not even be the best rebounder on the team, Chris. Right. Nate Roberts might be the best rebounder on the team. He led the team in rebounds against Western. Yep. He had and the he'll double, play fewer double, minutes, and he still may match yeah. Stewart's rebounding output, right. which is crazy to me. Right, right, and, and to be able to go, to be able to to swap Hamir for Roberts, and even when you really want to get big, big, I don't know how you could do Timmons and Stewart on the floor at the same time, but you got Simmons, Timmons back there for you know he's a matchup guy, right? He'll be a role player. Some games he probably won't play at all. Others, depending on the matchup, he'll play a lot. But you've got so many interchangeable pieces on that back line. Um, the depth of that back line. I don't know how that anyone in the Pac-12 has an answer for that. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a tight rotation. I think it will be surprised at at how things tighten down and how quickly they do because when you're going against Baylor, he's not Hop's not going to run out eleven guys tomorrow, right? Right. But uh, the same thing is he made the comment that he thinks in some situations, like you said with Timmons and the matchup stuff, 
he says in certain matchups, certain situations, our 9, 10, 11 guys might be better than our 7, 8, 9 guys or what have you. That sounds like coach speak to me. Okay. Um, How would you decipher that? <laughs> well, so... Be, being a coach with, I, that usually has a deep bench. Because you got to say, you're not going to tell your these kids who are fighting for roles that, sorry guys, there's just too much talent here, you're not going to play this year. Right. <laughs> but truthfully, I mean... Maybe they go nine guys max rotation-wise. I, okay. I, I just don't see anything beyond that. And so, you know, for the freshmen, they're going to play the non-Stuart Jaden, right? So right. Um, those guys are going to develop properly on the bench because the team, when you look at what they return next year, yeah, it's going to be a very strong um, upperclassman-oriented group. So that said, I mean, obviously we know that Jerron Brooks is is transferring, so he's he's redshirting. Yep. He's, he's he, you know he's got to sit out. Yeah. But do you think there is a scenario, based on what you just told me, is there a scenario that Marcus Sahonis, Raekwon Battle, guys like that, Richard? Uh, tough. You don't have a lot of depth, right? Um, so I'm going to say maybe Battle. But you could – tough to say because you've got Bay who takes that time. That's his role, right? Right. But so, Bay, but Bay what, the way he showed up against Western in terms of ball handling, yeah. he could he could be your ball handle off the bench if, if, if Quade isn't – on the on the floor, it's kind of not trendy for four star guys to redshirt these days. So I kind of doubt that they have any red shirts. Okay, I, I just kind of I don't see it's it's becoming much less common. One of the last questions I wanted to ask you is, how do you feel like the decision by Hopkins to include some man defense this year? Love it. How do you think that's going to show up tomorrow? Love it. Like we were just talking about inside, um, you've got Cameron Dollar and. Will Conroy, two of the best defensive coaches I think you could possibly ask for, there to teach, you know, to really instill their principles, right? I man, mean, man defense principles. They're man defense principles. So I think um, we're going to see man a bit. You've got so much length that uh, it's an advantage to be a great man-to-man team, uh, and I think we'll see it quite a bit. You think so? Yeah, yeah. I, even uh, even against a three-point shooting team. Um. I guess it depends on how well they execute the zone, you know, how how effective they are stopping that three-point shot. Right. Because we saw last season they were very good at that. But we saw against Western even though they were in a man in man quite a bit, Western shot a lot of threes. So maybe they're not re- maybe they're not there yet. Right? At a point, yeah. They can run that zone against three-point shooting teams all all day long. Well, we we know how how Hop likes to coach from his gut in right. terms of the rotations, in terms of who's coming in, who's coming out, that kind of thing. I get the sense that he's going to be coaching from his gut in a lot of these, okay, are we going to go man here to kind of mix? Because we were talking about, you know, we saw some situations against Western where they may have been playing man or zone, the ball goes out of bounds, and then all of a sudden, whether it's on the side, whether it's on the baseline, wherever, they might jump into a completely different defense. Yeah. Just real quick, maybe for that one possession. You know, just kind of like the way we, you know, Romar used to yeah. sometimes throw a zone out there on a one possession just to really mess with someone. Right. I'm wondering if he's going to use it like that or if he really, truly believes he's going to run a lot more man this year than that. I I still I still wonder because I think this the zone is is such a game changer for mm-hmm. them and it's and it's something that, that people rarely see in terms of what they do with it, their kind of pressure zone. I, I just wonder how much man he's really going to want to use. Well, so you you got to believe he's probably going to keep things pretty simple, right, yeah. out of the gate. This yeah. first couple of weeks of the season, we flipped the whole roster. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I could see them very, going very situational down the road. 
I think early on, you're probably right. It'll be, we'll keep it, they'll keep it simple. Um, they'll probably stick to the zone quite a bit early on in the season and then integrate and figure out how to use it. But truthfully, Hop still doesn't know what he's dealing with yet, right? Yep. They've had six exhibition games, so to speak, against awful teams that don't really give you any kind of barometer of where your team's at. Right. So when you say coach from the gut, that's all he's going to be doing tomorrow, right? Yeah. Like, because he, what's he going to do? He, he doesn't know any better right now. Right. Well, I would also say, too, or at least ask for your opinion on, okay, so let's say best-case scenario, Washington comes away, they win that game. Let, let's not say they win convincingly, but they win in a manner that gets people excited for this Tennessee game in Toronto even more. Um, how are you feeling about this thing? Are you taking it as a one like, okay, it's in Anchorage, it's a one-off, it's, you know, anything could happen. It's like, it's kind of like, let's put it this way. It reminds me a little bit of when they had to go play Texas and China a few mm-hmm. years ago, right? And they won that game. Yep. Did it end up really being an indicator of anything? I, I kind of wonder. Um, I think with where Hopkins is concerned and because the zone is entrenched, um, you can definitely take a lot more from the initial their initial game against a high quality opponent like Baylor than maybe you would, you know, normally. I so yes, I think if they beat Baylor, and I think they could do it convincingly, convincingly to be honest with you, um, it's time to get really excited. Yeah, because those are they beat Baylor. They're they're going to beat Baylor by doing things that they can replicate. Okay. So um, yeah, get excited. Okay. Last question. Of all the things you are looking for tomorrow, what's what's the what's the hot take? What's the what's the thing that you think is going to be like? Okay, that's going to tell you something that you really need to know about this team. Baylor's going to get hot, right? At some point, probably a couple times during the game, they're going to get hot from outside. And how does a how does Washington weather that? Can they respond? Those are the couple things that I'm looking at. Can they if if Baylor goes on a tear and rattles off nine quick points, and all of a sudden they're up by seven. Washington's still camping in their zone. Um, can they respond to that? Can they, you know, can they weather that storm and and stop the three point shot moving forward? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it's basically defense. It's defense related. I, I feel pretty good about where they're going to be offensively. Okay. Um, it's it's on the defensive side. I find that interesting because they, you know, being such a young team. I know, but there's so much talent. Yeah, so much talent. True. You heard it first here, guys. Aaron Beach had a hoops with his lowdown on uh, what to expect from tomorrow's game in Anchorage against Baylor. Number 16, Baylor. Washington is literally. I think they're 26th. I think they're literally just outside the AP top 25 right now. Yet made Jeff Goodman's Final Four. Washington by nine. That's what you're calling. That's what I'm calling. Washington by nine. Okay, folks. You got it right here. So for Head of Hoops, Aaron Beach, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. Go dogs.